held its breath till that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel shall not fade by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me Set the captive free. 
the King who came to serve, and you're the God who washed our feet. You're the one who took our burdens, and you bled upon the cross. In your kindness and your mercy, you became the way for us. Forgetting all our sins, you remember all your promises. You are sinners that you forget all our sins as far as the east is from the west you remove them from us we stand before you righteous because of your son who died for us and rose again 
And so with this gospel truth in our hearts, I pray that we would open them so that whatever you have to say through Rick today, you would imprint into our souls that it would be more than just a sermon we hear, but that it would be your word living and alive and working in our hearts and in our minds. We worship you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Well, good morning, everyone. Jonathan Rickert here. We are glad that you're joining us at Church in the Valley over Zoom this morning. And we really are do, do just appreciate your flexibility as we switched from our in-person service to Zoom this morning because of the weather. And then next week, we will once again be meeting outside here at the Alhambra and also we'll have Zoom continuing with that as well. Now, if you are looking for song lyrics or if you're looking for the sermon notes, connection card, you can find those at civalhambra.com Sunday. And I really just encourage you, please fill out that connection card. We'd really love to hear from you. Uh, if you have any prayer requests, please share those with us so we can be praying for you. And then there's also going to be a few things that you might want to sign up for on your connection card as well. So first of all, if you're looking for a place just to really receive some encouragement, maybe you want to spend some time talking to people, learning about God. Uh, our fall groups or our groups have started, and we really just encourage you to join a group. It really is a great place to connect with others, connect with God. It is not too late to sign up, and you can sign up that you're interested in that on your connection card, and we will get in contact with you. Then we also have a couple of different ways that um, you can serve this coming fall. First of all, uh, you might remember back in April, Barry and Holly Rogers launched out here from CIV to be a part of a church plant in Santa Clarita, and that is Valley Lights Church. Well, Valley Lights Church is starting to have preview services where they're just really uh, introducing themselves to the community and getting that church launched up. They had their first preview service, and God brought around 84 people, which, I mean, that's just such a blessing, especially right now during COVID. Um, well, we have an opportunity to help them get towards their second preview service on November 14th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. We can go out there and pass out door hangers as well as just pray in the neighborhoods of Santa Clarita. So if you're interested in joining that group, you can sign up for that on your connection card, and we will send out more information about that this week. And then a second opportunity to serve is through Operation Christmas Child. There's so many kids around the world who do not receive Christmas presents and who have not heard God's message of love for them. And so one of the ways that we can really bring that to them is through Samaritan Purse's Operation Christmas Child. Now, the collection date is going to be November 22nd for that. It's so early, so we can make sure those get out to kids around the world. And at the bottom of the screen right now in Zoom, I believe there should be a website where you can go to learn more about packing a box for that. And then if you're in person next week, we'll also have more additional information at our resource table. Now, next week is Daylight Savings Time. So it is fall, we fall back, which means for all of you without young kids, you get to sleep in an extra hour and all of you with kids, good luck to you, have fun. Um, so please remember to set your clocks back. If you don't, you know, you can come help our facilities team set up chairs. We'd love to have you. And we're really excited just to be here this morning. I'm gonna go ahead and invite Rick Durst up for, um, he's gonna share with us his uh, second part of his message series on cleansing the temple. So thank you very much, Rick.
Jonathan. It's good to be with everybody virtually, and I trust virtuously this morning. And uh, Jonathan, I appreciate that uh, introduction. Um, I, uh, my, my day job is I work for Gateway Seminary, so I get to teach theology and church history. Uh, in fact, I'll teach another course online uh, tonight in church history. And one of the things I love about that is being able to get back into Scripture and let it speak to my heart. And so I trust that that'll happen uh, this morning as has been prayed already. Let me invite you, if you've got access to a New Testament, whether it's on your, your computer screen or whatever, uh, get to Luke chapter 19, verses 45 to 48. And as Jonathan shared, um, there's a three-part series on cleansing the temple. One of the stories about Jesus that's in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is his cleansing the temple. And so we're going to look at a particular um, account of that in the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke 19, 45 to 48. Um, education researchers recently looking at um, what causes, what prompts, what elements are essential to kids thriving in school. Uh, a particular interest were kids that maybe come from a more distressed background, what makes them thrive even, you know, with maybe some uh, lack in uh, amenities and, and what have you. you know, they came away with one new factor that I just want to share with you right now. They discovered that if a child enters public school, say kindergarten, at age five maybe, and they've already had 10,000 words or more spoken to them, you know, obviously by their you know, family, parents, and so forth. If they've had 10,000 words spoken to them, they almost always thrive in school. But if they've had 5,000 or less words spoken to them, they have great difficulty surviving in school. Uh, that spoken word, and you think about the connections of understanding what was said and responding, all of those social skills, communication skills clicking in place, that begins to make sense. But that, that bar of 10,000 spoken words. You know, if I had a child who didn't have that many words spoken to them, I, I might have the heart's desire. I wish they could start it over. You know, I wish they could start their life again and we could make really sure they have more than 10,000 words spoken to them this time. And as soon as I thought that, I realized, isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, you must be, you can be, you should be born again. That there is a way to reboot life. And then as soon as I thought that, I thought of the 10,000 words and I realized, I think Christ wants to speak 10,000 words and more into our hearts. Uh, this idea of the word of God, of scripture, the spoken words, he wants to speak that into us so that we'll thrive. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might thrive in it. And when we 
have those words spoken into our hearts. In fact, the scripture describes Jesus as the word of God. The word of God became flesh. As we invite the word of God in Christ into our hearts, we experience that love, that communication, and that switch gets turned on. So we begin to thrive. Um, now, as I thought through this, I thought of 1 King David. There's a person who had more than 10,000 words spoken into his life, and he writes in Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm. It's 176 verses. And all of them are about having God's word spoken into your life. In verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is incandescent. It's intended to light our way. Um, one of the earlier followers of Jesus, Peter, uh, saw that there were some people beginning to drop out of sort of Jesus's um, itinerant school. And so Jesus turns to Peter and to the others, uh, apostles we call them, It says, uh, you know, are you going to leave too? And then Peter says, and this is John 6, 68, a verse that just, bam, echoed in my heart, said, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You're the one who has the words that last. Uh, so he hung in there. Um, and, of course, probably one of the most famous verses, because if you go into many public libraries, the engraving on the front of the library says, the truth will set you free. Well, that's quoting Jesus. John 8, uh, verse 32 and following says, if, now listen carefully, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, when you hear real truth, it liberates you from cherished misinformation. It delivers you from fake news when you and I hear the truth of God's word. And that's, that's the work, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus goes on to say um, that when he went to uh, give an example by washing the disciples' feet. Now, I had a New Testament professor, Fred Fisher. He was quite a character. And on the, new, on the exam in this New Testament class, he asked, why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Multiple choice question. Why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? And um, now this guy is a golf-playing cigar-smoking New Testament professor. And so I'm thinking about this as I'm thinking about this question. And, you know, there are a lot of really cool spiritual answers, but then right in the middle of it was C, because their feet were dirty. And so I'm going to go for it. That's, that's the right answer. It was the right answer. Jesus washed their feet because nobody else had done it. Nobody else was willing to do it. And so he wraps a towel around and begins to wash their feet and maybe he started with Peter, but Peter did not like the idea. Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, you know, wash my head too. Wash me from head to foot. And then Jesus says this. Um, you, Peter, are clean already because of the word that I have spoken to you. Have you ever been uh, at the airport, boarded your plane, cold weather, icy, snowy, and... You're sitting there, you've buckled in, everybody's seated, and you look out the window and you see this operation going on to de-ice your wings. 
Uh, because as ice builds up on the wings, it takes away from the capacity of the aeronautical formulas of lift. And I think what Jesus was saying to Peter, I've already de-iced you. You know, as we go through life, we accumulate sort of gunk on our souls, we ice on our souls, and we just don't have the lift that we used to have. And then these words from, you know, Scripture cleanse us, they liberate us, they de-ice us, as it were, and we can soar again. We can live with inspiration, which brings me full circle back to the title of this message is there are really four reasons that people come to church, but one of them is they come for inspiration. You know, a lot of people maybe hate you. Life's not easy. It's tough. Maybe there's illness, there's broken relationships, work is not going well, your company's trying to figure out if it's going to survive or not, and it's troubling, it's difficult, it's hard. And when we come to worship together, we come to have courage spoken back into our hearts, breath spoken back into our hearts. I remember in high school, we were playing touch football, and there were certain rules that a couple of these guys who were really good ball players, but they, they didn't care anything about the rules. This guy straight arms me, you know, that means put your arm out like this, right in the nose, and I went over backwards. I think I lost consciousness for about a second and a half, but there was something else in it that caused me to lose my breath. It knocked the breath out of me. Have you ever had that happen? And, you know, for a second you think, ah, oh, am I going to get my breath back in time to live? And you, you, you suck in as hard as you can. Well, I think that same sound is going on inside people when they come to worship. They are looking for God to theopanevstus, God breathe, to put um, the wind back into them. Uh, we're all looking for a second wind. I, I'm very interested in that physical phenomenon for athletes of a second wind. Do you ever have your second wind kick in? It's amazing. Um, three years in a row, I don't know why I went three years in a row, my brother and our sons, we climbed um, Half Dome in Yosemite. And one of the times we climbed, I remember on the way down, I, I don't know if it was the, the energy bar I ate, or finally my physical nature kicked in, and I got a second wind. And I just... Maybe it's because I was going downhill, but I just zoomed back down. This was like in the 11th hour of an 18-hour hike. And it's not unusual when we gather for worship and we hear God's word sung or prayed or read or taught, we can feel the breath of God, that second wind, uh, come into us. Now, we're about to have Halloween this, this week. And there's a wonderful... Halloween story in scripture. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37. And it's, it's sort of a nightmare um, experience for Ezekiel. He has this dream of this whole valley full of bones, nothing but dry bones. I assume they were kind of broken apart because what happens next is how those bones come back together. And so he hears God thunder to him and say, can these bones live? Well, Ezekiel throws his hands up. I'm clueless. I don't know. And God says to him, prophesy to them. Give them the word. 
And so he begins to preach to them that despite all the troubles, even death and trouble, um, God has a hope and a dream for them. So he, as he preached to them, this big rattling sound came and the bones started coming back together and now they're skeletons. And then uh, the flesh started to come back on the sinews. You know, it's like reverse engineering anatomy class. And all of a sudden, it's now a valley of what? Dead bodies. And so God says to Ezekiel, you know, call upon the spirit. Now, a little bit of Hebrew. This, the word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach. Say that with me. Ruach. It's a great way to clear your voice. Ruach in the morning. But it means spirit, but it also means wind and breath. Has all three of those meanings. Spirit, wind, and breath. And this is a valley. So he, he calls upon the spirit of the living God to come. And this wind begins to blow. You remember in Psalm, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles and they began to preach and seek um, uh, and, and praise the Lord, it came in the, in the sound of a wind. Well, this wind goes. Now what happens is the dead bodies, it was like giant um, instantaneous, simultaneous mass CPR. Uh, the wind comes down and all of a sudden they can breathe now. They're not dead bodies. They stand up as a host, as, a, as an army, ready to march from where they had been in captivity, exile, back to the promised land, back to Palestine. So it starts out as a nightmare and ends up as one of the best dreams uh, Ezekiel had ever had. And, you know, I, I see some similarity for us. Did, did you ever wake up in the morning and... You felt totally dried out and felt like, you know, do my arms work? You know, is life going to work? And maybe you reach over for your Bible and begin to read, and you begin to feel this wind coming back and your body put back together. It's like in Genesis chapter 3, there's a, a different account of um, the creation of Adam. And as, this, as the account goes, God scoops together, and in, in the original language, it's, it's hummus, not the kind you eat, but hummus, and uh, brings together the dirt, and now he's got a body shaped there. And then it says very specifically, God breathes into that body, and he stood up. That body became an animated soul, stands up, and it becomes, it says, a living soul, a nephish. And that's Adam. And if you will, humble yourself, uh, ask the Lord to scoop your life back together and breathe into you, you'll be that self again. You'll be a, an Adam or an Eve who, who stands before the Lord and serving him. Now, in, back to Luke 19, if you've kept your finger there, uh, let me read this account that Luke gives of this cleansing of the temple. Um, so he's in Jerusalem, in, in verse 45, Luke 19, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus has mashed up two Old Testament prophecies there. Um, 
to explain why he's doing this. And he was teaching daily in the temple. It was time for him to teach. It was time for him to give some inspired words to people who came to the temple. But you can't do it with all that noise going on, all that racket, all that, dis- you know, so to give space for teaching. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people sought to destroy him. They didn't like that Jesus was upsetting the status quo, that he was challenging their leadership, which had turned the temple into, a, you know, a Costco, um, a super Walmart or whatever. Um, so it was everybody's focused on the process and not the purpose. The purpose is, is to worship God and hear God's voice. Um, and then it, it's, in the, it, it's, a, it's a very powerful word. It says, the principal men of the people sought to destroy him, not just end his life, but to destroy him. That's a very, very powerful word because he was acting like he was the boss. He says, it's my father's house. And my father wants to breathe in these people's lives, and you're preventing it. You're going to rob God. I'm going to prevent that. So he cleanses it. And then their intention is to destroy Jesus, but then verse 48. But they did not find anything they could do. None of their plotting, none of their planning was successful. Why? Then it has these words. For all the people hung on his words. What's your life hanging on? What's your hope hanging on? What are your relationships hanging on? Um, Hanging on God's word. Why were these people hanging on God's word? I think for the very same reason uh, that when a mother or a father or a loving brother or sister speaks loving, true words into the hearts of children, they get it. They get how life works. And For once in their life, they were hearing God speak words into their soul for them. And it was transforming them. No wonder they were hanging on it. Um, You know, when people are hanging on your words, how do you know that? They give it away in body language. Um, If you ever want to turn a professor uh, and make him more exciting and make him more interesting and more interested... Here's the way to do it. Change your body language. Don't sit back. Sit forward. In fact, scoot forward just a couple of inches. That's all it takes. And really look. All of a sudden, that lecturer, I don't care how big the hall is, will have a tendency to be riveted to you. And that she or he will think, that person thinks this is interesting. And they will... You can, you, they will ratchet up their enthusiasm and their passion for what they're presenting. Well, they were hanging on Jesus' words. I've seen it where, uh, in a public place, when somebody's speaking really well, people will just start crowding forward. And I think that's the sense of this. They were hanging on his words, and they would not have tolerated anybody interrupting the lesson, the lecture, the sermon, whatever you want to call it. They needed to hear those words. Their words were doing them amazing good. So they hung on his words. Now, I can learn to oh, understand sorry. you much better. If... 
How rude of Siri to talk to me right during my sermon. Um, my favorite interruption in church, I don't know if I've told you this before, this guy's phone went off, and it was the theme for the Wicked Witch of the West. Dun, 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 and then you hear these words from the guy, Mom, I'm in church. <laughs> I just love that. Uh, okay, back to, the, back to this, this piece. I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit. Um, to stay faithful, you and I need to have regular times of inspiration, whether it's corporately or cyber corporately or individually. We need to have God's word spoken into our hearts. We need these words where it counts, where it makes a difference. Um, when my, my wife's a, a vocalist, and one of the things they did to train her in breath control was they would have her hold a lighted candle and, and to sing. Now, you cannot speak without releasing air, and you certainly can't sing without releasing air. So breath control is very important, and you could see what was happening by how much the flame moved. And we, we need God's breath speaking into us. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 um, says this, All scriptures are God-breathed. God knows that when he says a word to you, he's releasing breath into your life. It's profitable for instruction, correction, uh, conviction, and training in right living. So when life knocks the breath out of you, um, that's when you need inspiration. Inspiration means restoration of the self through God breathing words into our lives. Uh, the Spirit of Christ works to illumine and even incarnate those words uh, into our lives for, for bold gospel conversations and living. In fact, the scripture says to receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word bears fruit in your life and my life according to what God wants to have happen there. Um, James 121, he's always kind of a slap in the face. I love him. Uh, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It transforms our soul. Um, now, we, you and I, any of us, our families, we can put ourselves in a way of having inspiration. You know, we have to do what James says. You really have to cleanse your temple so that you've got three things. You got to have a place. You need to have a time and you need to have a plan. And if you do that, Scripture calls it your Bethel, your house of God. Um, you're experiencing God. In it. it can be at church. It can be at home. Uh, it can be anywhere. Now, it takes about 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes. That's all. Um, by the way, did you know you can read the whole Bible in a year, cover to cover, if you just read three chapters a day? Um, so what, what should happen in those 15 minutes? Well, um, first, if I have a plan, I know what I'm going to be reading. You know, it's a massive book. It's over 1,000 chapters. Where are you going to read? Well, you need to have a plan. Um, we'll talk about that in just a minute. So where am I reading? What is God saying to me? Am I hearing God's voice in this? Um, if I hear God's voice, what am I going to do about that? 
if you hear God speak, he's going to expect us to respond. He's going to expect me to obey it. So where am I reading? What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? And the fourth one, who am I going to tell about it? I need to look for opportunities. Actually, I just need to wait for opportunities just flowing by me to share what God's up to in my life. You know, people maybe just ask me. I remember my son in high school, uh, he kind of has 220 wiring, so he's kind of frenetic and energetic, and um, he started reading the book of Proverbs, and he just read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Well, he was only 14 days into it, 14 chapters into it, when this girl says to him at, at school, Matthew, something's different about you. You just seem more peaceful. Where did that come from if the word is not doing its work in your life? So you can expect people to ask you questions about what's going on. Now, if you're in a small group, and please, that's probably the most important thing you could do, is get in a small group where you can, you know, like here today, you can't really talk back to me. But in small group, you can talk back to each other and measure things and give insights. You'll have somebody you know enough well enough that they, you, they're free to ask you the question. Now, Rick, where are you reading? What's God saying to you? What are you doing about it? Are you telling anybody else about what you heard from God? Uh, those four discipleship questions. Now, if you're listening and this is all pretty new to you, um, let me just say to you the, the best news I can possibly say. God is about the business of rebooting a life. doesn't matter how you've lived. To this moment god will make it possible for you in christ to turn from the way you've been living to him that's the work of god's spirit and to be rebooted born again uh, restart and let god's word start speaking into your life for the direction and living for the kingdom you must be born again jesus said you can be born again Cry out to him. Call upon the Lord and be saved in Christ. Uh, and let some people know that. Be a part of, of this fellowship here in a small group. Now, um, I want you to try an experiment for me, okay? I am a professor. I'm supposed to give experiments and quizzes and all that stuff. So let me, let me suggest to you a 40-day experiment. You know, 40 days would take us, you know, through Thanksgiving. So the end of November. What would happen to you? If you decided that for 40 days you're going to commit to reading the Bible and praying for 15 minutes a day every day for 40 days, just 40 days. Now, how many are night people? You're, you're, you know, you're up late. How many are morning people? How many are still trying to figure out what kind of person you are? Okay, there you go. All right. Depends on how much sleep you got and all that stuff. Well, read it at night if that's your best time. Read it in the morning. It doesn't really matter. Either way, it will work well. But commit yourself to 40 days. We say, well, where am I going to read? Well, you could do what my son did. He's just reading Proverbs and Psalms. Just read. And, and this is the important thing. It's not how much you read. It's what you hear when you read. It's quality, not quantity. It's direction, uh, not distance. Uh, so don't, don't get discouraged. Uh, if you want some help that's very interesting... Um, there is online, you can, I, I usually access it through YouTube, but it's called The Bible Project. Anybody heard of that? The Bible Project. 
Um, these are seven-minute animated drawing videos that introduce and explain how a particular of the 66 books works. It's very helpful. And so what I would say you're reading the book of Acts or the Gospel of John. Well, if you will do a Google search or do a YouTube search and put in Bible Project John, it will bring up that seven-minute video. And it makes so much difference when you have sort of a, a conceptual framework for what you're reading as you engage in it. So I highly recommend the Bible Project. Now, here's a longer uh, next step. Would you consider in 2021 reading the Bible through in one year? I don't know if you've ever done that. It's a long time. A year's a long time. <laughs> but if you have a plan and you have a couple of other people who are doing it too and you begin to share, um, it's amazing what can happen. Now, I don't want you to overpromise or overexpect and they get burned out and blame me. Don't, don't do that. Just begin to pray about it. And if God is calling you to do that, there's some wonderful plans online for reading the Bible through in a year. And maybe we'll even post some different sites that you can do that. But consider that for um, 2021. Meanwhile, let's go with the great experiment of these 40 days. Um, if, if you will put yourself open to God, it's God's responsibility to speak words into your life. That's what he does. Uh, he can speak words of life, words of wisdom, words of cleansing, words of liberation. He's got words. And the Holy Spirit can grab hold of these words and unzip them in terms of truth into your life. That's his plan. If you do that, um, don't be surprised if the people around you begin to recognize there's something at work in your life that is different than what's at work in their life and ask you questions about it as you and I follow in his truth in a way that honors him and glorifies him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship you together here at CIV Alhambra. Thank you for making it possible for us to do this, both technologically and with opportunity. Lord, we thank you for the rain that's come. We need it. We're grateful for it. It's been a gentle rain. That's okay. Lord, thank you for it and what it brings to nature and the cleansing and the washing of the air. But Lord, also, uh, this gentle sense of your spirit coming upon us so that we can understand your word. Jesus, we trust you. We trust you to speak into our lives. And for the people here this morning who are willing to say, okay, Lord, that's the kind of experiment I need to walk into at 40 days of reading your word every day. Bless them in that, Lord. Uh, keep them. Touch them. And Lord, if there is someone here who your spirit is knocking on their heart's door, uh, may they cry out to you and receive the invitation that you're offering to them of salvation in Christ, forgiveness of sin, life forever with you, a word to inspire you, and heaven to give hope. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks, Rick. I'm going to uh, spend some time to uh, just sort of reflect a little bit. I'd encourage you guys to uh, think about those next steps, especially that great challenge. Consider if you want to take that challenge. If you truly believe that the Word of God can transform your life, I do. Spend some time thinking about it. Tell somebody about it. Fill out the connection card. Let us know if you are planning on doing so, and we can uh, get some resources to you to help out with that. clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another God, let us be a generation that sees and seeks your face. Oh, God of Jacob, oh, God, let us be a generation that sees and seeks your face. Oh, God of Jacob. Your prayer tonight, we bow our hearts. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, to give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us
us clean hands and pure hearts. You should turn us into a generation of people who seeks after your face and hungers and thirsts for righteousness and hungers and thirsts to hear your word. That we would hang on every word you speak, every word that comes from your mouth, Lord. That as we read it, we would be reminded of the amazing grace that you have shown us. As Rick was saying, that your word would free us. It would give us a light for our paths. It would show us the truth. It would cleanse us. We open our hearts to you and we open our weeks to you. We ask that you would be with us as we move forth. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We hope to see you guys next week. Don't forget to turn your clocks back an hour. Otherwise, you will be here very early. <laughs>